cliffcentral.com San Monane Nonke, as Andrew Levy would say. Uh, good morning. This is Frankly Speaking. This is Rory, as uh, you know. Um, flying solo today. Uh, Andrew is out and about. He got on a flying machine and uh, left me alone in the studio, all on my own. But uh, thank goodness for amazing guests. Uh, I won't be alone. Um, so we're continuing today with the theme, what does it mean to be black? We've had... Uh, two very interesting conversations um, in past episodes. The first one was with Tato Mahano. Um, the second one uh, was with Nozipom Banjwa and Pumi Mashekho, exploring the idea of what does it mean to be black. Now, we've heard a lot, uh, I think m- perhaps more loudly recently than before, around black struggles and, and uh, wokeness around black issues. Uh, but has anyone ever paused to ask themselves, but what does it mean to be black? Uh, there are a lot of different people uh, who identify as black. Uh, blackness has been represented as more than just a skin color and uh, as more of a culture encompassing many unique nations, voices and skin colors. So it uh, it has also been called a state of mind. Um, it's been called an attitude of the mind. But what exactly does this mean? The, the, the key takeaway from the past two episodes is we've left both episodes feeling very confused uh, and almost wondering why we even started this conversation. But uh, today we've got uh, we've got other guests, we, which we hope will illuminate uh, illuminate a bit of insight into the topic. Uh, if not, confuse us even more, which is okay. Um, it's okay to be to be confused and to be in an ambiguous space around issues because it forces us to uh, try and figure them out. Um, today in studio, we've got uh, Obenewa Amponsa. She is the CEO of the Steve Biko Foundation. And on Skype uh, from the US, we've got Brian Keith Murray. Uh, he is an educator and researcher and has done amazing work um, in the work of, of, of tracking movements and the impact of social movements uh, across time and even today. Uh, looking forward to having the conversation. Of course, uh, you can also join us. Uh, please uh, tweet me at uh, Rory Shabalala on Twitter, and uh, you can also catch us on WeChat at cliffcentral.com. All right, let's get the show on the road. Uh, we've got two amazing guests, and I really want to see how much we can pack into this conversation. Good morning, Obenewa. Good morning. How are you today, Rory? Fantastic. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. It is a great pleasure to have you um, here. Um, I think I want to start perhaps uh, with... Uh, uh, the recent uh, Steve Biko Memorial Lecture where you had uh, the activist Angela Davis speaking. And uh, in your opening remarks, you speak about her embodying not just the style of the movement, but the substance of the movement. Mm-hmm. What would we say is the style and substance of blackness? I think the style and substance of blackness has been many things at many different points Um in history, I think it's uh, even the question, the, the framing of the question is, is really interesting because I don't know that there's one precise answer. Mm. It's like me asking you, what does it mean to be a man? That could encompass mm. many different mm. things. Mm. And I think that identity is something that is fluid, that changes over time. But if you had to say to me, what are the three central tenets of blackness, so to speak? Yeah. I would say that there is the cultural 
aspect. Um, listening to my accent, you can probably tell I, I grew up in the U.S., yes. originally from Ghana, living in South Africa for uh, a decade I now. It was Australia, but hey, let's go with U.S. <laughs> <laughs> so U.S., uh, DMV, right outside of, uh, of D.C. Um, and so one of the things that always fascinated me was, you know, in Ghana, I dare not speak to one of my elders, call them by their first name. Mm. Auntie so-and-so, uncle so-and-so. Same thing in the States, same thing here in South Africa. So the cultural aspects of what make us black. I think there's also the racial aspects of what makes us black, phenotypically, the, the, the characteristics we tend to have. But more than the characteristics, what how people respond to us on that basis. And particularly, I think, some of the more negative aspects if you're looking mm. at what's happening in the States right now. Basically, don't be a black man that's reading a book, trying to pick your child up from school because you'd yeah. be shot by the police. Yeah. Um, you know, don't have your car break down. You know, so don't drive while black. And so there's that element that binds us together. But I think more than that, historically, there's also a shared history of overcoming oppression, of creativity, of... Um, making something out of nothing. And despite the trials, the tribulations, the difficulties still emerging. And so to me, that would really be the substance um, of blackness. So not just in the words of Steve Biko, a matter of pigmentation, but really a mental attitude. So we've moved on from uh, Steve Biko's initial articulation of it, and we have begun to see it as more than just a mental attitude. Well, I think that that was one way that Steve Biko articulated it. He had many different ways of articulating it. And I think black consciousness specifically, he talked about the fact that in a normal society, in a society that wasn't racist, the need for black consciousness would not exist. Mm. Now, is South African society and many societies in the world still racist? Definitely. Very much so. But is it the same as it was in 1977? No. And so that to me is part of what it means to evolve. Um, it's about taking what has happened in the past, the different ideologies, taking the best, leaving the rest, and really looking at how we utilize those things to think about ourselves, to think about our situation, and to develop strategies to move us forward. I, I want to come back to that because uh, an earlier guest uh, said uh, Steve Biko was the god of, of, of blackness, and uh, he was going to essentially commit um, blasphemy against some of his words. So I like that you've, you've started it off in that way, that there are things within what we've been taught that are worth leaving behind in order to define a new narrative uh, and definition for what it means to be black. But Brian, uh, are you there? Hey, good morning. Good Hello, morning. everyone. Good morning, Brian. It's 3 a.m. Uh, why are you it, sounding so groggy? Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Wake up. Going. Wake up, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's early here in the States, but uh, it's, it's good to be here with everyone. Yeah, it's 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 9 a.m. somewhere in the world, and it's 9 a.m. here, and we're going to speak like it's 9 a.m. Uh, welcome, right. <laughs> welcome to the show, Brian, and thank you very much for agreeing to wake up to have this conversation with us. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Brian, um, so you've done a lot of work um, as, as a researcher in, in studying the impact of movements across the world uh, and, the impact, uh, of, uh, and the impact and progress of those movements across time. Um, and the very fascinating thing is that uh, you and I can have a conversation on blackness um, and you in the U.S. and myself in South Africa, uh, Obenewa can have the conversation with us as well. And we've just met, but we have a common experience of what it means to be black uh, in all of these different uh, places. What is it 
that is the golden thread that ties this uh, this narrative of blackness together across the oceans. Um, Obenewa has said there's a cultural, racial, and shared history, um, which for some might be confusing because hey. Uh, I don't know you. You don't know me. We the the struggles in South Africa uh, have not necessarily been the same struggles uh, in the rest of Africa and in slavery in the United States. So so we have different experiences in that sense. But perhaps within those experiences is a common sense. Brian, no, I I, I, agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, th- so I think she did a great job. You know, kind of framing what we know about uh, what is to be black, especially uh, globally. But if I was to look at those things, so I actually look at it from two standpoints. One, I'm a scientist. So I actually look at language, culture, history, those type of things. Mm. So I look at, you know, the way we actually talk about God, the way we talk about our religion affiliations, the way we refer to each other as brothers and sisters. I think there's the, there's a shared commonality there that is greater than our 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 definition by oppression and which is more the racial aspect the mm. political uh uh response to uh, abuse to be honest with you you know um now there are a lot of uh, organi- organizations that refer to each other in response to abuse uh we're black because of the abuse that we that we experience throughout the world but what i find more what I find happening is that the movements that are the most successful are the ones who actually share a lot of cultural values. And you can find that across uh, uh, across the board. If, I, if I'm tracking language, I can track American language, especially in the South. If you hear my accent, I'm actually from the South. OK. Mm. And so what that what that what that means is that there's a deep history of slavery here. And so therefore we live tightly to with one another we live beside each other and so you can hear me code switch if i'm in my home uh environment or home community you can hear me switch uh languages in a way that i wouldn't do as if i'm in the academy okay but because of that i can track it back to the caribbean islands i can also track uh i guess the language patterns back to ghana other places you know and uh and so as a scientist, that connects us, that shared history of language. And why that's important is because how we describe things is more important. And so uh, what you'll find common uh, as a scientist is that, uh, one, in South Africa, when I'm in South Africa, and which is similar to here in the South, is that if people believe in, uh, let's say, Jesus, they call on the name of Jesus, right? They call on G- the name of Jesus as if uh, Jesus is a person or an ancestor or somebody that we know. Whereas, uh, unless you're in the Pentecostal faith or in the in 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 white traditions, they refer to God more in an abstract way. Mm. Okay, so like the Holy Trinity, the Holy Deity, things like that. And so the way we look at the world is very common. And so I can track, I can track, I can track us culturally, and uh, and we can come together. Uh, up on that, that that cultural mantra, but if I switch over to the political side, that's a whole other thing that that is marked by really abuse and what we call hegemony if we, if we, when we're tracking it, and that's mm. this 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 treatment of people as if they're children. Mm. Okay, so throughout time, how did I treat you be, as a child be, just because you are a certain 
phenotype or complexion or uh, type of hair? And, uh, and what does that mean? What will I allow you to do in this world? And that's a different way of, 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 of tracking things. Brian, maybe just to, 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 to latch onto something you've just said, said there, Urban Hour, this raises a question for me, which is what is it about being black that has seemed to set us aside for oppression irrespective of which continent we're on? What, what could have possibly uh, caused that irrespective of whichever continent we're on, we became oppressed? Well, I think it has to do a lot with history. And I think one of the challenges that we have, particularly in a day and age of social media, podcasts, etc., 24-hour news cycle can seem like an extraordinary amount of time, mm. let alone four or 500 years of oppression seemed like a huge amount of time. Mm. But the reality is that African people have been here for millennia, but we have not necessarily been politically oppressed for millennia, culturally mm. oppressed, etc. I think there's a very specific history around um, enslavement, um, and people's movement from the African continent, I should say forcible movement, because as African people, we've always been moving. We've always been cosmopolitan and we've always interacted with other parts of the world. That's the whole reason we even have a language like Swahili, for instance. Yeah. Um, but I think that that history of oppression where people were really coming and they were looking for means um, of production, they were looking for free labor, cheap labor. You had to have a narrative that justified the use of Africans in that way. So for instance, if you even look at the early Americas, um, Brian mentioned uh, being from the South. So one of the earliest settlements in America was Jamestown in Virginia. And if you look at the early records of Jamestown around about the 1600s, there were black slaves, there were white slaves, there were indentured servants who were white, people who'd come from Europe to, to work their way into a better life. But then there was a huge rebellion. And what happened in that rebellion is that enslaved Africans, uh, white folks who were indentured servants and enslaved got together to try to overthrow Jamestown and the colony. So what happened then was that very specifically legislation was created that separated poor whites, indentured servants, enslaved white people from enslaved Africans, uh, indentured servants, so that it began to create a a racial hierarchy that was meant to separate those who were economically oppressed. And it's really that, I think, that continues to carry over today. So on the continent, if you look particularly in South Africa, fundamentally, it was a colonial exercise. It was really meant, how do you subjugate black people so you can take their resources and do what you need to do in the world? And so I think that's that legacy is a lot of the reason why it continues to follow us. But I think in the same way that there are specific definitions or experiences of blackness, we also need to recognize their specific experiences of whiteness, whether or not people recognize it. And in many ways, what you continue to see globally. So if some people were told historically that they were less than and other people were told they were more than. Even centuries after slavery ends, if that idea of whiteness still exists, that we are fundamentally better than you are. Mm. That's part of why we continue to have this challenge today. Jeez. So, um, Dr. Julius Garvey in the 2016 Robert Sumbukwe Memorial Lecture uh, said that at the heart of every society and every individual in that society is a belief system that shapes its idea, culture, day-to-day activities, and future goals. This is derived from tradition, a history, and a knowledge of past experience. It is the ethos that mo- motivates the person to participate in the community of life. So. Mm-hmm. In speaking about blackness, we tend to, to, to speak a lot about the past and so on, so on. Um, to the both of you, what is it that, uh, what are the ideas and culture and day-to-day activities and future goals that are beginning to 
define blackness moving forward as as being more than just about being oppressed? Well, I think that um, Brian actually referred to it. So when I was talking about, you know, in Ghana, I dare not call adults by their first name. Mm. Granted, I'm a full grown adult myself, right? Yeah, but there yeah. are always people that are more adult and how that is a similar thing in the U.S. So I think that those ties that bind, Brian spoke about in terms of language and the like, still exist. Um, but I think more so than anything else, one of the things that continues to define us as black moving forward, and part of the reason that I think Steve Biko's legacy was so important, is that it's really about self-definition. It's about creating different options and opportunities in the world for yourself and people who look like you, but also people beyond who don't necessarily look like you. Mm. So it's really about self-definition. It's about realizing that maybe there's not just one definition of blackness, but there are many definitions of blackness Mm. Um, and to create space for all of us to live within those things. And I think the other defining feature of blackness is that it's not our struggles for liberation have not just been about liberating ourselves. They're ultimately about liberating humanity. Mm. Brian, uh, this is, I'm slowly, every time I feel like I'm getting to understand, uh, I get confused again. Um, (laughs) So, you know, Dr. Julius Garvey again says uh, in in, in that speech mentioned that uh, DNA evidence suggests that the original man was black, born on the African continent. So, would you then say, based on what Obaneo is saying, um, and based on Dr. Julius Garvey's statements, um, that we're all black, all white people, all people that we see as white now and so on, are we all black ultimately? You're the scientist. Uh, help me understand. No, no. So there is something that's called culture or, or, or heritage, right? And, and so that's these factors that we look at around religion. We look at way of life, worldview, which they, you know, praxis, other things like that. How do you go about your normal life? And people are different. And there's nothing wrong with being different. We don't all speak the same languages. We don't all see the same things. I think um, that's not necessarily a problem. Okay, to be different and to be part of a larger human family. Yes, we are all part of part of the human family. But you got to understand what culture is. Culture is a set of survival skills that you use in order to move a population forward. That's it. So you use a common language so therefore you can communicate with one another in order to pass traditions, tools down to say, you know, if you're going to live in this world, this is how you survive. Okay. Mm. And so that, so, so, so that's important. First culture uh, is something that we just, that we don't just romanticize. It's great to have culture, all this other stuff, but it's a set of survival skills. And so therefore each population, uh, we're not just talking about black or white. We're also talking about different groups in, in Europe. We're talking about different groups in, in Asia. Each group brings a set of skills to the table that says, you know what, if we're going to survive on this planet earth, this is how we do it, okay? There's nothing wrong with sharing those skills, okay? And then also recognizing that we are different. Now, if you're talking about um, a response to political oppression as well, um, I guess where we kind of fuzzy things up a little bit, which I actually really have a problem problem with this, even here in the States when, when we're in, in discussions, because while blackness and other is is kind of fuzzy, kind of fuzzied up a little bit. One thing we are always clear about is what white is. Okay, there's, 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 we're very clear about when we experience, especially oppression, up under this, 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 this label that's called white, which 
is not cultural in, in, in itself. OK, white doesn't tell, you know, the language doesn't show, show anything. And so if I'm trying to track white language in the United States, I would never use the term white at all as a scientist. OK, but when we switch over to actual oppression, it's funny how it becomes so very clear in a way that it doesn't represent that's that's it's not shown in the science but it's very clear what whiteness is and so the the the, the trick is to fuzzy us up fuzzy up you know uh i guess our our cultural affiliations with everyone else but we're always very clear what whiteness is mm. and that's a problem for mm, mm. Oh, Benua, and i i agree with that to to a certain extent but uh, perhaps a, a point of clarification so I hundred percent agree where Brian is talking about um, culture being basically the set of survival skills, the ways in which we move through the world. Um, and that's why I'm saying that there are many different aspects to blackness. So as a Ghanaian um, young woman coming of age, uh, my traditions might be a bit different than what would happen with the young Ndebele woman here in South Africa. But the point is that we still have this worldview that, you know, at a particular age, a girl, a girl, you know, goes mm-hmm. through certain rites and rituals. I think the, 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 the question for me, or not really the question, but the point I'd like to add is while I agree that whiteness is not a cultural construct necessarily, I think that's part of what makes it so much more insidious because you don't have to be white to uphold whiteness. Mm. So what would I, I mean by that? Um, we'll take an example of, uh, we'll use a, an example from the U.S. Someone like, uh, when Trayvon Martin was killed by George Zimmerman, and Geraldo Rivera, who is not white, he mm. is Latino, um, and that comes with a different, uh, a different set of history and, and, and experiences, says, well, everyone, you know, basically he was wearing a hoodie and that's why he was killed. Basically the gangster's uniform, right? In that Geraldo Rivera is not necessarily white, but he is upholding whiteness. I think we've seen it here recently with um, some of the young ladies from Pretoria Girls High trying to wear their natural hair in Africa. It wasn't just white people who were saying, oh, but, you know, they should they knew what the rules were. They shouldn't. Black people were saying that. So, again, there's a way that people can uphold whiteness. And I think that's where the nuance comes in that, yes, there's a cultural aspect to race, um, but there's and cultural identity. But there is also the, the societal or structural aspect as well. Let's stick with this conversation on whiteness because every time we've had this conversation for the past uh, couple of episodes, um, whiteness emerges. And and then the question becomes, can we define blackness um, as its own entity, um, exclusive of a discussion on whiteness? Um, Do we always have to – are we black in reference to whiteness or is there blackness which exists in a world all on its own without referring to, to, to whiteness at all? My view is yes. And I think that this is where what Brian was saying earlier and what I was alluding to also when I talked about the cultural, the political and the historical aspects, I think very much culturally, if there were no white people, we would still be black. Mm. We have a particular way of being in the world, a particular way of living, whether, you know, we happen to be of Afro-Iranian descent, African-American, Africans on the continent, West Indians. There's a particular way of being that is part of what makes us, quote unquote, black. But there's also the political way of being. And the political way of being in many ways arose as a result of the of the political manifestation of whiteness. Mm. And so I think this is where I, I kind of say to people, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, um, I don't know that you can be, say it's either or. I think there are many different aspects and, and, and facets. And this is part of the importance, I think, of black consciousness, not just historically, but today. Our blackness will never be sufficient so long as it's always in response to someone else. It also has to be about who we are. Mm. But the question is, when confronted with issues, when confronted with challenges, even when confronted with opportunities and, and, and laudatory moments, who are we? Yeah. And that's where the cultural aspect of blackness or cultural aspects, I should say, come into me. Which brings us back to the question that started this conversation. Uh, Brian, if uh, you, you've mentioned whiteness, uh, Obinua is saying that uh, we, we are ourselves without necessarily referencing whiteness. So let's talk about uh, whiteness as a vice. Um, if whiteness is a vice, is, is blackness then a virtue? That's a good question. It, it depends on what you are looking at, right? And so uh, whiteness isn't necessarily a vice, okay? It's, it's the abuse of power that's the problem, okay? There's nothing wrong with any group coming together and saying, hey, you know, we have these shared uh, cultural norms, other things like that, that we want to make sure that things, you know, that, that survive. There's no, there's no problem with that, but it's the abuse of power. It's this, it's, this, it's, it's this thing that says that, you know what, I'm going to protect everything that I do at your expense, that's really the, the, the problem with whiteness. To cut in there, so you've, you've said that uh, whiteness is, doesn't, there isn't really a, a, a cultural grouping that we can really say uh, we can identify as white, it, as, as a group. It's so, not a so scientific does, term at all. Yeah, right? it's not a scientific term. Um, but then, then what, how, so whiteness has, has constantly been framed as or linked very much to the abuse of power. So how is it that we, we're able to say that whiteness is not a vice if it seems that they're inextricably linked, the abuse of power and whiteness, as, as you've referred to it? Well, again, to come together isn't necessarily a problem. It's the abuse of power, right? So, mm. so, so if you took – so whiteness in itself, yes, it has a historical framework, and that up under this, you know, white oppression uh, that, that that's going on. But it doesn't always have to be that way. So you can have a white group in the future that's not necessarily oppressive. We see that happen, you know, that we see that happening with groups of, of, of people throughout time. People become very oppressive, then they actually uh, form. What, what, what outlives lives the oppression or the, uh, the, the, the power grab is the cultural tendencies of, of, of a group. In Egypt, other things like that, if you look at it throughout time, um, the culture moves forward a lot longer than the political ideologies, okay? And so political ideologies die all the time. Mm. And I, I, got, I have a feeling that one day whiteness, uh, the way that we view it, will as, as, as well. But for, for now, it is something that even if someone who is black... Um, speaks to white virtues, the beneficiary of that is always someone white. Okay. Mm. It's never someone, it's never someone black. I don't care who's speaking about whiteness. The benefit is always someone who is categorized as black and which usually you can trace back to phenotype, a way of articulating, articulating language, other things on and on and on that has been prescribed as whiteness or a way of, of, of functioning. And so those are the folks who, who typically always benefit no matter who's talking about it, black, white, or whoever else. Uh, Obinua, Haley Berry has said that uh, blackness is a state of mind. Um, does that mean that white people can be black? 
No, please don't. Please don't. Rachel Dole is all me. Um, I just want to go back to the point that uh, that Brian made just now. And in, in support of what he was saying, there's a really interesting book by a gentleman by the name of Noel. I think it's Igantiv. I'm not quite certain on the pronunciation, but basically the book is called How the Irish Became White. If you said to most, I spent a lot of time living in Boston, huge white community there. Um, or excuse me, huge Irish community. Mm. If you said to most people walking down the road who saw members of this Irish community in South Boston, whether or not they were white, the answer would unequivocally be yes. But there was a time where Irish people were not considered white. And so as Brian Very is saying, sure. there is a way in which um, people can become people of European descent, I would say, can become white, right? And so, and so I think that, that that is something that we always have to keep in mind. So it's not as he's saying, there's no, there's no good or bad inherent in being your, of European or African descent. The issue becomes problematic when we use it to subjugate people and when we begin to make value judgments about it. So if I say, oh, Rory is a tall white, a tall black dude, there's no judgment in any of that. But you'll notice the number of times if someone says black, like, oh, she called him black. Mm -hmm. But he is black, Mm -hmm. you know, typically looking at him. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the subjectivity um, issue comes into play. I I think when we get into issues of people becoming um, wanting to be black, I think that there are sort of three three issues tied up in that. So coming from a, a historical position in the U.S. where Halle Berry is coming from, where literally there was a drop that said a, a law, one drop of black blood, you are black. You are treated socially like a black person in terms of um, the oppression that you encounter and the like. But beyond that oppression, even the cultural aspect. So having a black mother most likely means that, you know, every Saturday, every Sunday, you're getting your hair did. Mm. You know, there's a particular way of relating to friends, family, etc. So I do not see that feel that white people can become black. And I think part of when we begin to have that conversation, it's about appropriation. It's about wanting to take the best of what we are and who we are and what we produce. So You'll recall, I think it was at the BET Awards that Jesse Williams gave this speech about how people want to appropriate black culture when it is convenient for them. But when it comes to standing up for black people who are being politically oppressed, right, so they can Mm. take the culture, but they don't want to take the political oppression. To me, that's disingenuous. And it's another form of violence. And it's another form of oppression. Brian, so firm no from you, firm no from Obeno about whether white people can be black. Uh, but it, it sounds like uh, earlier on in the conversation, we, we, we hinted at the risk of black people perpetuating uh, whiteness. Um, if, if, if this is the case, then is there a risk? I mean, you're looking at kids who are being raised today and are being raised in a very different society, in a society where uh, Obenewa said that uh, there, are very, there are many different ways of expressing and living out blackness. Um, and they may argue that they remain black, uh, but, but expressing things that uh, some of us in simplistic terms would refer to as they're behaving in a very white way. Um, where does that put us, uh, let's say, in the next 50 years, um, as 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 black people um, who are living in this world in which we be, we're beginning to see uh, different strains, and perhaps you speak of hegemony, um, Brian. They adopt whatever is the dominant culture, what we see on TV, um, what what we see in corporates, and so on as strength. We adopt that, and invariably, it then begins to look like white. Yeah. 
No, no, it's, it's, it's a good question. And actually, I'm glad I'm actually on this call this morning, you know. Um, so you, for me, it's, it's so individuals can and do choose and always have chosen to remain attached to the ethnic family and its heritage, okay? While also others have many uh, have drifted from the core family or chosen deliberately to, I guess, abandon the ties that bind us all together, okay? Those are ancient processes. That happens all the time, okay? But what matters most to me is not who leaves the family, but who chooses to stay within the family, okay? Um, those that 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 our children that choose to adopt other cultural values uh, because they're going to be punished if they don't if they don't adopt other cultural values they're going to be punished for that in jobs unemployment all these other type of things on and on and on and on but there's some benefit to who we are and so who who I guess who I really focus on is um, who remains within the family, okay? Because um, the best way to sell anything or to promote culture is to be true to the core of who you are and show its value. And you can't do that really walking on the on the margins. You're gonna lose uh, you're gonna lose a lot of folks. But those who are really uh, defining what it is to be, and I'll switch over from blackness to African, okay, uh, just as this global view. I think a lot of stuff that we talk about as, as far as blackness is 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 a response, a global response to this abuse of power, whereas the African, uh, if we switch to the term African, then we can look at uh, cultural values that, that's emerged out of Africa that, that speaks to a certain group of people and how they survive throughout the world. Mm. So if we look at the African strengths to, to, to who we are, I think, I think and really be clear about what that is because other folks in other cultures are very clear about who they are. So therefore, our children can attach themselves to uh, other identities in a very structured way, whereas we are, are sometimes ashamed of, of giving them the same opportunity. But we have to be clear who we are. And then who I'm always concerned about is not those who who lead, including our children, but those who stay. If you stay here, this is what we're about. And and this is how we nurture you, you know. And so and, and so there's nothing like uh, the call of of your mother uh, from from a cultural language, whatever she calls you. My, my nickname growing up was Squirrel, right, because I was very small, and had this big bushel of hair. It's nothing like in my own language hearing my name called, okay? Mm. And we see that all across. I also do a lot of FMR uh, eye studies, which we actually track brain, language, things like that. And there's something not only about the, a mother's call, but also your name being called uh, when, within your own language that really sends blood throughout the whole uh, brain that says, you know what, this is important. This is who I am, and I identify with that. It's something very unique about that. So I always remain. I always focus on the people that that choose to remain, but not the folks that that choose to go. But um, our children will be punished if they don't assimilate. Be clear about that. You know, um, there's 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 a very uh, clear pathway to becoming white. Uh, sister referred back to when the Irish became white, and other ethnic groups here became white. They became white ultimately. Because it benefited them, but in their home life, they're not white. Mm. Rarely do you, in especially the United States, rarely do you hear uh, another white person call another person white. They're very 
clear that they're Irish, on and on and on and on and on. And if you look at their home practices, everything that they do is usually of that culture. That's when they switched over to culture. But when it's time to vote, to do other things, they switch over to whiteness. Let's get to uh, Urbanoa. This is, this is very interesting, this thing of uh, whiteness and blackness, because uh, Brian speaks about uh, those that have left and those that have stayed. Mm-hmm. And I think it touches on the question of who gets to decide. The both of you have said, no, white people are not black. Who gets to decide and how do we decide? If we, if we think about, you mentioned earlier how blackness almost came to originate out of, out of slavery. And in South Africa, we've got the Population Registration Act that mm-hmm. essentially created and classified the races. Um, and, and it was actually, let's call, oppressive laws that, that created blackness. Who decides today what it means to be black? So let's just take a step back, and I think it's important, again, to highlight there's the cultural aspect of black, and then there is the political aspect of black. Culturally, you know, I do think that there is a way that people can, quote, unquote, leave. We have many people who are living, you know, in the northern suburbs. You say something to their kids in Closa, they're like, I don't speak that language. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to eat pop. They don't want – there's a whole range of things, right? So I think culturally people can leave. And with the generation or two, they can become, quote, unquote, white in that that regard or, or European. But I think politically, people cannot leave. I think Chris Rock actually summed it up best when uh, Tiger Woods described himself as a Cablasian, uh, a mix of Caucasian, Black, and Asian. Chris Rock said, when LAPD pulls you over and they say, nigga, get out the car, you're not like, who, me? You black, right? And so I think we have to keep that in mind. So again, there's the cultural aspect, but there's also the political aspect. And I think if you look at what's happening in South Africa right now, when we see the number of young people protesting at the model, the former um, Model C schools, Pretoria Girls High, these young people were taught that if they came with a particular twang, if they came, you know, they could do the same work, recite Shakespeare like their white counterparts, da 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 da, they'd be accepted. They get to the UCTs of the world and they've been on par all of a sudden. They get into the corporate world for the first time. Then they realize, whoa, we went to the same school, but I'm making half of what you're making because I'm politically black and you're politically white. Mm. And so I think that people culturally can try to move away, but politically you can't. And I think, unfortunately, politically, it's one of those things that really defines for you, is defined for you. That's, that's the first point I want to make. I think the other point that I want to make, and this is really the activist in me speaking, um, Brian referred earlier to code switching and the fact that people can be punished, so to speak, um, for not adopting European behavior. And we see that a lot. We saw it very specifically at Pretoria Girls High. Young woman comes in with her afro. She's literally sent to detention. They want to expel her from school, a whole range of things, right? But until we decide as black people, culturally and politically, that we believe in who we are and that who we are has value for us and who we are is worth fighting for, we're always going to have those challenges. And so, yes, we should recognize that there's a cost, but can we make it better for different, for new generations moving forward? And I think this then comes to the point that, that you, you were asking in terms of who decides now. The truth is that in 1977, Steve Biko defined blackness as anyone who was culturally, politically, uh, economically and legally oppressed by apartheid. Today, black people in South Africa are not politically oppressed by apartheid. So does the definition change to people who are perhaps economically oppressed, people who are um, culturally oppressed? Because we have 11 official languages, but I mean, on Cliff Central, how many of your shows broadcast outside of English, yeah. right? And so there, there are these, these issues. And I think the point that 
is important for all of us to drive home is that these are things that are constantly being made and shaped and that we have both the right and the responsibility to shape them, to make them, to think about them, to contest them. And we don't have to necessarily have an answer that's black or white, right or wrong, but we do need to critically engage with the issues because it does impact us socially, economically, politically, and culturally. Mm. Brian? So actually, that's a good question. Um, and let me tell you the reason why. Um, if you look at oral language, period, okay, it's always defined by the people that speak the language, okay? So even English or, or any other language is currently being defined by the people who speak the language. It's not being defined by the people who lived 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, okay? Including black language in America, okay? There's no official... Uh, Af- what we call African-American English or Af- African-American vernacular. There's no handbook for that, okay? Uh, but what it is is always defined by, if you look on Twitter or anything else like that, it's very clear when you have come across someone who speaks the African-American dialect. Um, that's because it's always uh, negotiated by the speakers of that language, okay? Same thing as far as political views. Who decides to be black and who decides not depends on Who's going to respond to the political abuse that's going on at that part at, at that point in time and do it from a the, the, the a way that's the most culturally centered? That's usually who defines who is black or not. So therefore, uh, in education, you may be a staunch p- person for uh, black children in education. But on other issues um, such as police brutality, other things like that, you may not have strong enough stance in in that in and that in what you're advocating for uh, is not rooted enough in oppression theory, uh, enough that we can actually move this thing forward, or how you're advocating is so far different than representing who we are, you can no longer speak for this issue. On education, keep going on, but in somewhere in on um, police brutality, other things, you are losing uh, your blackness in, in, in that. So therefore, the political, uh, I would argue that the political identity of who's black and who's not is always defined by the people who are living at that time and according to uh, what they want to achieve or respond to such as oppression. And so we're always going to, so even if, so we won't come up with one, one standard de- uh, definition. And just like you all said that the, uh, the, the um, definition of blackness for Steve Biko has changed, which I don't know if it has necessarily. It's not technically apartheid anymore, but still the same uh, same structure. We're still uh, facing that. But even though that that has changed uh, over time, the people will always define what blackness is as they do. What is the official language? Uh, the language in COSA or anything like like that is is what we consider the standard is going to be different than a hundred years ago. Mm. So, if 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 that's the case, and and Brian speaks about there isn't a manual, uh, for example, um, Obinewa, should should we have a manual? I mean, you raised the issue that um, across the different platforms, that you know, whether it's in the schooling system, whether it's in media, whether we are perpetuating or at least teaching um, whiteness, so to speak, um, we are we are, and we are passing it on, so to speak. Is it not time that uh, foundations such as yours uh, put together something that looks something like a guide uh, on blackness? I know it sounds silly, but uh, so how, ma- how ma- do we teach it? How do we, how do we begin to, 
to teach and encapsulate this blackness uh, so that we don't have people leaving. So you've just given me an opportunity to give my 30 second. This is what we do at the Steve Biko Foundation promo. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so the Steve Biko Foundation is fundamentally a community development organization. I think a lot of times when people talk about development, they talk about how many miles of paved road, are there hospitals, is there electricity? And those are key indicators. But for us, we really take uh, the viewpoint and the approach that Steve Biko did, where it's about empowering people to become agents of change in their own life, the life of their communities, ultimately the life of the nation. And we do that through work in what we call the three C's. The first is consciousness. Who am I? And so even this conversation of blackness, all three of us are at this table. Brian is on the line. There are four black people sitting in this room. Most folks would walk in and say, oh, there are four black folks, right? But each of us has to define what blackness means for us and live it our way, right? So for us, it's not about creating a manual that says, you know, if your skin is darker than a paper bag, you're officially black. It's really about giving people the tools to begin to engage with your history, to engage with your heritage, to figure out who they are and what their place in the world is. And that's the second C that we focus on at the foundation. It's community, because it's well and good for me to be black as an individual. And Brian alluded to this when he talked about, you know, it's the group that really decides, that creates language, etc. Um, what is my place in the world as a black person? How do I want to shape the world. And then the third thing is core skills. One of the things I really like about this conversation is that Brian and I are clearly coming from very different aspects. I'm coming from that of, you know, an activist, historian, pan-Africanist, etc. He's coming at it from that of a scientist. And so how do we help people, whether they're going into investment banking, whether they're going to be English teachers, whether they're going to be hairstylists, to really engage with history, to engage with heritage, and not just for the sake of knowing, you know, facts about Shaka Zulu in 18-whatever, but really about shaping the future so that our history, our culture isn't um, so subjugated anymore so that we can be who we want to be so that, you know, we have the opportunity to be called in our mother tongues uh, as and when when we want to so that we're not punished for being black. And so for us, that's really what it's about. It's about empowering and equipping people to um, make change in their in their own life and ultimately in the world. And if people are interested in, in more of what we do at the foundation, they can look at our website, which is www.sbf.org.za. We're also very active on Twitter at Biko um, Foundation. And so while we don't have a specific manual on blackness, there are many tools that we've developed that speak to history, culture, identity, but also to quote unquote hard skills like how to start your business and, and things like that. Mm. Brian, it's, uh, so we've got the Steve Biko Foundation here um, that, that, that promotes uh, at least these principles around the community consciousness um, mm-hmm. and, uh, sorry, open your core, core skills as the, as the third C. Um, and uh, that is that that doesn't specifically say blackness, right? It, it speaks about a, cert, a certain, and we seem to be timid about this idea of defining blackness, and we're allowing anyone to define it as whatever they see it as. But if we're going to win the struggle, if we're going to if we're going to move it from a black struggle to a black, I don't know what the opposite of the black struggle would be. Um, should we be not? Should we not be getting a little bit more bolder? In, um, in saying, no, 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 actually, uh, there are certain things that we can, because you, you're, you're, the two of you are very clear on what is not black. When I said, oh, white people, no, we we're clear on that. Um, yeah. but then we're like, oh, but then you get to decide in between, uh, just behind the line of white, you get to decide whatever it is. Um, 
Will we ever get to a point then when we, we, we understand where we can actually stop this series? We're going for three shows and we're still not announced. I'm going to have to keep going with this. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think, I think uh, the reason why we, I think we're going to have eight shows if we need to, because <laughs> I, like I said, it's always defined by the people. But also I'm an activist as well. I'm, I'm very active in, in a lot of the political struggles that's going on here. And actually I track a lot of the, not only do I do the data of tracking what is successful because um, I, I think I think at, at some point we do have to s- decide what our goal is, and the goal is also is always not that our phenotype stays around, but our cultural values stay around. We I think we truly have something to offer to the world, okay? And so so at some point we have to agree on what is the the priority. And I'm also an educator as well. Um, and so I've, I've, I've taught all my life. I'm, I, my background initially before I was a scientist was a teacher. And so uh, what, what the, the question is always, what do we teach our children? That's the question at all times. What do we teach them? And that is for the group to, to, to decide. But as we move forward, we need to figure out why are we deciding? You know, how is this going to help us out? And I think uh, I think that would guide us better than than any particular definition of what blackness is is what okay even after you are black what are you going to do mm. what are you going to do and so i think that's that's the that's the most important question for me so i i really agree with brian on that and i don't think it's a lack of boldness right that that is why we haven't focused on coming up with one specific definition for blackness when Steve Biko and his colleagues started Sasso in the late 60s, they called themselves non-white. Mm. It was through a process of examination, thinking that they then defined black, right? So if within a 10-year time frame, their identity and their lexicon, as Brian says, the things that they called themselves changed, why do we expect that 50 years after they were originally non-white, our definition of blackness would be exactly the same? And right. earlier we talked about the fact that culture are, culture is, is, is a set of tools designed to move us through the world, to move us forward. And the truth is the world changes. Mm-hmm. So we so can't think, change. so while our values might be the same, the way that we express them will be different. So in my tradition, we believe that the Gans believe that God has given every person 70 years on earth. So if you die after the age of 70, we wear black and white or blue and white, which very strangely is also called black and white, right? Mm -hmm. If you die under the age of 70, you would wear black in our tradition. But if you were sick, you would wear brown because the idea is your years were cut short, but you're, you've been released from your suffering. Now, my grandmother's black and white outfits look a lot different than my black and white outfits, right? Because yeah. my grandmother was born in 1924. Mm. Me and my sisters, our, shirt, our skirts are a bit shorter. The point <laughs> is that the values, mm. in terms of our belief and our relationship with God and our time on earth, it's the same. The expression will be different. Uh-huh. Yes. And I think what, just to throw a spanner into the works, one of the things we also have to be honest about is I think we should not romanticize an African past. Right. And I think we tend to do this in regard, particularly to European past past. We were good and they came and they no. every culture, every society has things that are perhaps undesirable. But you change, you learn, you grow over time. And so we also need to give ourselves space for that type of evolution as well. Jeez, guys, we're running out of time. But uh, I I just want to understand now moving forward. what does this prefix of black in front of the names of institutions, in front of even describing ourselves as a black person, 
What is the significance of that prefix? What is it that we can expect from an institution that defines itself as a black management forum, for example? Um, wh- what does that mean? Black Panthers. Um, why weren't they brown Panthers? Uh, Brian? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so I'll, I'll speak from the U.S. perspective, right? And, and so throughout the time, We've had so my grandmother would never call herself Af- I mean uh, African American or black or Negro or anything like she died calling herself African because mm-hmm. she you know her mother was enslaved uh, enslaved African and so therefore our banks you know was first African Bank of Georgia or things like that you know and so so usually the the way that uh, that people especially of our populations define themselves. Show show their their response to it's really a reflection of how much power they believe they have in the world. To be honest with you, and so therefore, if someone uses something uh, the African uh, uh, Episcopal Church here, uh, typically that and and they created that name recently, it shows their relationship to power and sees that back. Um, before early on, we were property in in, in the United States. Black mm-hmm. folks were property. After that, we were. Um, Negro. Okay. After that, we were colored. After that, we were black. And so, and then now we're African American, which is only at, in the last eighties. So, whenever you see an organization uh, in the United States that represents black interests, one, the name tells you when they were created, which part of time. Okay. Also, it shows their relationship to power, specifically, um, most of the time, white power, but not always. When usually, when they use the term African, it's more of a cultural response than than anything else. And so, when you put a name before it, what it usually shows is your response to the world on how you're going to function here in the United States. Mm. Obenewa, I would agree with that. And I think the interesting thing about South Africa is because uh, apartheid looks so very similar to segregation, right? Uh, sure, a lot sure. of the lexicon looks the same. But if you go to Ghana, if you go to Nigeria, if you go to Zambia, people are not always referring to themselves as black so much as they're referring to no. themselves as African. And so I think that it has a lot to do with um, people's particular history. But I think it also is a reflection of values. And it's also a reflection of aspiration. So what does it mean sure. to go to a historically black university um, in a context in which people were historically denied education and to walk out with a PhD, right? So I think it's it's a range of things, but the important thing for me is that whether the term be black, whether it be African, it's about people defining themselves and the way in which they want to move in the world. And to me, Absolutely. that's ultimately what power, what equality, what humanity is about. Whoa. Big words, a lot to digest. Um, I think this calls for a next show. I'm like, I'm trying to see how long we have to go before we get to a point where we're like, yeah, we got it, we got it. But uh, <laughs> it sounds like, right, let me just burst your bubble. It ain't never gonna happen. It ain't right? never gonna happen. <laughs> it ain't never gonna happen. So we're changing the name of the show from frankly speaking to blackly speaking. <laughs> um, and, 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 and you know, and, you know, so many people hate having this discussion. But the thing about it, just like oral language or anything else, you always have to keep that. Just when you have, exactly. like, even if you have immediate family, you always have to, to you know, have dinner and say, hey, what are we about? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? You know, what are you doing in school? How are you doing in school? We always have to do that. And that becomes our definitions, you know. Yeah. So so th- people hate having these type of talks, but they are so important. They're so important. So, you know, maybe if I could try to summarize just to help you out, Roy, and based on what <laughs> Brian just said, maybe it's about relationship. 
Yes. It's about our relationship with ourselves. It's about our relationship with our history. It's about our relationship with other groups and individuals and our relationship with our future. Mm. Mm-hmm. Guys, yeah. thank you so much for, for indulging us uh, with, with this conversation. We really appreciate it. I think we will be inviting you again um, so we can continue the conversation. I have to get out of here. The Palisa, the producer, is is sitting on my neck <laughs> and uh, she, she's about to yank me out of studio. But uh, <laughs> if you missed the show or if somebody missed the show and you want to share it, you can go on to cliffcentral.com and get the podcast. You can also find us on iTunes. Uh, for me, Go go out and uh, be black, and if you ain't black, at least uh, promote promote principles that uh, favor not the oppression of others, but uh, the sharing of power and the goodness in all of us. Uh, I don't know where I got that inspiration from, but hey, uh, if it works, take it. All the best, everybody. Have a good one. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Cliffcentral.com.